Get in on the action and make your bet with Sports Interaction. Summer is heating up with baseball. Can the Jays make a run at the division? Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, hey, but you can bet before the game, whichever way you think, live and in play uh, in all your favorite teams and hot dog contests. Woo! Woo! Sportsinteraction.com slash STPN or download the app to get started. It's 19 plus. And what do you have to do, Steve? Please play responsibly. Welcome to Dailing the Apex, everyone. I'm Tim Haraney. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. Write a review as it really helps us grow the show. You can also watch us on YouTube. You can follow me on social media at Tim Haraney. Joining me today to go over the Italian Grand Prix is Mark Daly from the Scuderia F1 pod. Mark, um, how's it going, man? I mean, like, what? Uh, this was a great race. It was. It was. Before we get into it, can I ask you a question? Uh, yeah. Okay. On your where where does Monza rate in your say top five circuits? Because I, I asked this, like I asked Hammy on our podcast last week. I said Monza for me is top three. Yeah. So so I've raced on this track before in the past, and it is in. I, I would say it's probably like top three or four. Hmm. Only it, 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 not because of like like difficulty level, like the braking zones were difficult. Um corner exits, some corner exits were a little difficult. Uh but other than that, you know, it was more along the lines of the history, like you could really feel the history when you were there racing. Sure, sure. You could you know, just because you know, you got to get up close and personal with the the banking section that still lives there. Uh, and you just kind of remember like all the great drivers who raced on that thing. And it just, it feels like you're entering like a, a uh, you're entering like a great place. You know what I mean? Like it makes yeah, it, yeah. you enter, you go into Monza, into the track, even onto the track, the facility is perfect. Everything is pristine. It's like, you know, you're like in greatness. It's, it's really weird feeling. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like an awesome feeling rather than a weird one. Yeah, well, I mean, like, <laughs> not weird. I guess I should have said awesome. But, like, at the same time, it's yeah. it kind of blows your mind, right? Like, because, you know, I'm from Keene, Ontario, and it's, like, racing. I'm racing in, like, Monza and, like, competing <laughs> on a track that has so much history, you know, in a high-class racing series. You know, to go from yep. that to there is a... For me, it was, it was eye-opening. It was a great experience. Yeah. There were some weird moments. Like um, one day it was like raining and I was hanging out in the garages and I took the scooter and I was like scooting over to where the banking was because I'd never seen it before. But it was like this dark and like overcast and misty and like I crawled through the trees and then you get there and you see the the banking and it's just like you know it goes forever and it mm -hmm. curves it curves around so you're like looking you can see the curve on it disappear into the into the woods and then you look the other direction it's the same thing and it feels like it goes like around the world it feels like it goes yeah. forever but it's just you can just feel like the history that was there you can just feel it it's that's why i mean it was weird that for me was weird yeah, and the banking is crazy too. I've never been to Monza, but I've been to the old Brooklyn says circuit just outside mm -hmm. of London and Weybridge, and they still have like a, a section of the banking, and you can walk up it, and boy, is it steep! I mean, it must have been crazy back in the day to watch the cars flying around there. Oh, dude, you know, you try and run up the banking, forget it. 
<laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen. There's no way. It's so steep, dude. Like, yeah. I couldn't believe how steep it was. Like, uh, like watching some of the drivers do it now mm-hmm. is hilarious because they can barely do it themselves. <laughs> and like, I was like sprinting <laughs> trying to get up this thing, dude. It was amazing, amazing. No, it was. It's a. It's a great track. It's a great place. Um, for fans out there who've never been, it's a great weekend to go watch a Formula One race. Um, the Italian fans, the Tifosi, they're uh, so passionate. And, I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm a Ferrari fan. Like, it's awesome. It's just it's such a cool place to go to, especially when Formula One rolls into town. Mm-hmm. I uh, can only imagine. So Verstappen sets the record, 10 straight Grand Prix victories. Daily, did you ever think that you would see a driver accomplish this feat after Sebastian Vettel had done it? No, I mean, that that's the amazing thing, right? But it, it seems like records are made to be broken. And it just seems that every time a record is broken it does or set, it's just like, oh boy, I wonder if we'll ever see this happen again, <clears throat> excuse me, in our lifetime. But I mean, it just, I think it just underlines the historic nature of like what, what Max and, and Red Bull are doing because it's, I mean, they're, they're not just like rewriting the record book. They're, they're, they've ripped the record book in half and they're writing their own. It's, it, it's crazy because, <clears throat> excuse me, Hammy and I, we were talking about it earlier today on our podcast and we're just like with, with eight races to go now. The, the opportunity for somebody to do something and, and, and win a race now. I mean, they're, those opportunities are going really, really fast. And, and, and the thing is, they're almost invincible. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, the car is, is, is bulletproof. The, the, the Honda engine has just been re- like super reliable. Just don't ask Yuki Sonoda that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just incredible that when, like, when everything aligns and, and things go right, it's, uh, it, it's amazing. It, it really is. As soon as I saw Yuki's car peel off on that f- first formation lap, I was like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is this the start of something? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, th- it, it was weird, right? I mean, when was the last time we saw a Honda power units let go like that, right? I mean, especially on a formation lap, that was bizarre. No, Honda's stuff has been, you know, solid all season long. I haven't had any, you know, DNFs or that I can really think of that was power unit related. It's been pretty bulletproof. So that leads me to wonder that if. You know, Max had made mention on the radio towards the end there that he was having some issues with something. I wonder if that has anything to do with it. Yeah, it'll be interesting if it shakes out the wash yeah. in the next couple of days because sometimes, you know, they, they drop these little hints and then they don't tell you what it was. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it sort of comes out as one of these little, little, little bits that kind of like drops into the news cycle there after a race so who knows he was kind of shady about it he acknowledged yeah. there was an issue but didn't want to didn't want to talk about it uh, you know outside of the interviews yeah he during the uh interview session with the the fia press conference he did uh shy away from the question he never really <laughs> answered the question basically said that he would have to check back with the team as to what it 
could have possibly been. And I think that's probably code for, I'm not telling you anything. So (laughs) (laughs) that's what it is. is. Um, Okay. So obviously with this uh, consecutive win streak that Max has now set, you know, if we look back at, you know, Sebastian Vettel obviously was the first record holder with nine back in 2013. Um, If I am not mistaken, his record went Belgium, Italy, Singapore, uh, South Korea, Japan, India, Abu Dhabi, mm-hmm. USA, Brazil. And for Max, it's been a straight run since Miami. So Miami, Monaco, Spain, Canada, Austria, uh, Great Britain, Hungary, uh, Belgium, Netherlands, and now the Italian Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Alberto Ascari, uh, I guess would be next in line with with seven because his was done from what 19 they did his from 1952 to 1953 i think that's yeah the, way the only the only yeah and the only race like was it eight times a year or something mm-hmm. they they hardly had any races in it and it's, granted it was a little bit more difficult to mm-hmm. to get around back in those days but it's any way you look at it and whoever you compare it to it it's it's just yeah crazy impressive what they've done right yeah and then like schumacher i guess would also be in that mix with seven i think his was oh four i don't like i think the his running order was europe canada usa france britain germany hungary if i remember Mm -hmm. correctly I, i could be a little off on that one but still daily to to get to set this type of a record i mean this isn't an easy thing for a driver to do because there is so much that can go wrong and get in the way of, of things like reliability, like we had just spoken about mm-hmm. or your teammate getting into the mix at some point, uh, getting in your way and your other competitors also catching up. And it was interesting. You know, I was talking about this on sports center, um, on Sunday. And it, it was, you know, the question was, was basically, you know, is this more the, more the car or, or more the driver. And I fired back with driver mm-hmm. simply because of how perfect you have to be to go on a run like this. Like you have to be perfect. You can't make a mistake anywhere. And there were lots of opportunities for him to make an error. Um, trying to think like, you know, ones that stood out to me and we'll see what yours are, but mine were like Miami in the searing heat. And it was hot there, man. Like I, mm-hmm. I was there. It was hot. I was there covering that race, and it was hot. The searing heat in Miami, starting as far back as he did at that track on the weaker tire strategy compared to his teammate, um, having to muscle his way through the field to get that victory, take it away from Sergio Perez. And then another one that stands out is Monaco when it downpoured, trying to keep it off the walls. Um, very easy track, obviously, to lose it and to ruin your race. Zanvoort stands out as well with um, torrential downpour on slick tires and then having to manage a, a damp and drying track and at some points trying to hold off a hungry Fernando Alonso. And then uh, today also stands out to me as well with um, just playing cat and mouse with, with Carlos Sainz. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would agree. I mean, it, it is the driver. I mean, he's uh, he's done so well in some adverse situations, 
but you know he's also maximizing the package that he has it's letting him do what he needs to do if if he had like a, a car that wasn't reliable or it had like and have we identified any weaknesses or any situations that this rb19 or it's any of its predecessors of the last year two years has i mean they're they're far and very few between right so i mean he's able to lean on that car and push it to the extremes that he needs to and just I mean, it's it's amazing. It it doesn't matter to see what sort of the deficit is. He's still able to really dig himself out of the hole. I mean, go go back to like Belgium last year. What what did he qualify in? I can't remember what it was, but I mean, he was way down at the start, and he made up an obscene amount of uh, you know places right off of the start. And you kind of think, okay, well, he's definitely on for a podium at the very least, and. I think he went on to win that race. I mean, I don't remember too many that he, <laughs> that he hasn't won in recent years, right? So it, it's it's amazing just how good he's been week in, week, week out for such a long time. I mean, he's just... I mean, he's racing at such an incredibly high level. Yeah. It's 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 nuts. It, it really is. Starting grid for the 2022 Belgian Grand Prix, he started... 14th. That's right. I was going to say, I thought one. I thought he started ninth, but I think he was 14th. I think by the end of lap one, he was already up to ninth. That's Still. what I was going to say. Maybe started ninth, but I think that if you go back and check like the, the lap charts and stuff like that, I think he made five spots up like on, you know, on lap one alone. Wow. It's just like, wow, he's already in like the top 10. And, you know, it's just like one car after another, after another. But I'd like, I'd like to get your take on this today. Cause like you said, he's playing cat and mouse with Carlos. And I feel that like younger Max, just tries to pass him at the first opportunity that he gets. But I think Max knowing that, mm -hmm. you know, he's he's got the better car and he could just pick the moment that he wanted. I mean, he had some looks and stuff like that. And then as they kind of went a little bit further, I was kind of thinking, okay, because he kept saying over race radio, okay, well, Carlos is sliding around a little bit. So obviously he's looking at like the deg that's going on with, with Carlos's tires. I'm just like, well, if he just doesn't pass him straight out on the track, the next thing you you, you got to you know keep in mind is that the call that's going to come from the pit wall. I'm 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 throwing that advantage to the Red Bull side rather than Ferrari as to you know you know when they make that pit call. It, it's it there were there were too many things going in Max's yeah. favor. It was just a question of time, and I felt like he he just sat there you know completely chilled out. I think the only thing that might have forced him or Red Bull a little bit. If Charles was able to close that gap a little bit and start pushing Max from behind, but you know he had a second or two seconds, whatever it was, I don't, I don't think it was more than two seconds. Maybe it was a second and a half at most. But Charles wasn't able to get to the point where he could actually start like really agitating Max. I think Max at that point is just like, I'm just going to sit here. When it comes, it comes, and when it came, <laughs> he he disappeared pretty quick, right? I think one of the things that you know, I, he's really learned from that 2021 championship battle with Lewis was patience. Yes. And you could hear uh, Jean-Pierre Lambiassi, his engineer on his radio to him uh, during the race, telling him to, to be patient and almost giving him a reminder that he kind of needs to rein it in at some points because he can be a little bit aggressive at times. But one of the things that I think I've seen from him in the past two seasons is that maturity that I 
I speak of. Um, Anthony Davidson actually pointed out a, a really great uh, spot um, when trying to get past Carlos Sainz, trying to uh, take the inside on the second part of the first chicane. Mm-hmm. And the season that in 2021 that I had mentioned where he parked his car on top of Lewis Hamilton's head, um, you know, <laughs> uh, that, that I still questioned that one because yeah. – because of the sausage curb that's there, the the big orange one, and that that's been there since like ever. Like I, it was there when I was racing there. And we're going back. Like it, it's been there for a long time, and so he knows that, that that's there, right? So he know he knows that. But I think backing out of it and not forcing the issue today or on Sunday, I should say, with Carlos, I think that shows a level of maturity. I know he's getting pretty frustrated being behind Carlos for as long as he was because of their straight line speed. And I think for him, it was like, I need to make a move here at, at some point because his tires were going to start to dag the longer he tried to get past them because Carlos had great straight line speed today in that Ferrari. Yeah. Like they were very strong, brand new engine. You know, that thing was like firing on all cylinders uh, yeah. for sure today. And so for Max, it was having to get by Carlos as soon as possible after whatever it was 10, 12 laps. And for, for me, it was that level of, of maturity, just waiting, setting him up properly and then forcing him into a mistake. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. Compared to say like Sergio, who, when he was, uh, you know, behind Carlos, how many times did he bail out of that overtake at, uh, at turn one and go into the runoff area? Yeah. It was twice, three times. Was, yeah. It was at least twice. At least it could have been three times. Yeah. yeah. And and not to say that 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 Sergio's immature, but you could just tell like he was really trying to get his way, like get get around and and he just. Uh, but again, I mean, it came eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, m- much different uh, than his teammate. I think uh, for for Sergio, his race coming home P two today. I mean, good race. You know, not great qualifying again, mm-hmm. uh, but. Yeah, he 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 drove really well. I think I, it, it was interesting to see just how difficult it was for Sergio though to get past the Ferraris. Um, and I think like that's like both he and Max have the same equipment. It's not like they don't have the same equipment. They they do because they have the budget cap to provide that. It's not like back in the day where Schumacher was getting, you know, a lot of the best equipment and Barrichello wasn't. Right? It's diff- <laughs> it's it's not like that anymore. So I think like for I think like for, for Max, it's kind of like a, it shows you just the level of driving that he is at right now. Yeah. For, for me anyways, that's, that's how it, I mean, like everyone's always like, well, yeah, you know, Sergio hasn't been great lately and yeah, no kidding. But at the same time, I think when Sergio is still, when he's driving great, it's still, there's still that difference. You know, there's still that big Delta that's there that is because of Max's talent. Yeah, I kind of wonder too, like, um, you know, back at the sort of late spring, early summer when Sergio had that real low point in the season. And I just kind of wonder if he was kind of overthinking it and overdriving it just because he's trying to match up to his teammate. And I, I kind of feel that if he just kind of stays within himself, that he's a much better driver. I, I think he was just trying too hard to try and close that gap to Max. And he was just, you know, pushing it outside the envelope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, outside of Sergio, I mean, Carlos Sainz getting his uh, first podium of the season. Carlos was great all weekend long. Fantastic. 
you know, didn't put a wheel wrong and really, really showed his, his pace. And I think like Charles Leclerc, you know, there was some complaining at the end of Q3, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, why didn't he get the toe or something? Okay. So here, here's that scenario. So that scenario where, where we're talking about with, with Q3 and, you know, I guess Carlos was supposed to get, supposed to get the toe. But at the end of the day, Verstappen was in between both of them during qualifying. Yep, yep. And then Alonso was in front of Leclerc. And so mm-hmm. why is Leclerc complaining about this when he could have caught up to Alonso and used him for the draft? Yeah, I- exactly. Can you know, so it's kind of funny, too, because like that note from the stewards came up in qualifying. Yes. And then it, that, that it quickly kind of disappeared quite right at like afterwards that they weren't going to investigate it either and and fred vasseur kind of like brushed it off it's like yeah well we we still did it within the regulations and i was just kind of like it it was a little bit kind of funny how it it was became like a non-issue so i got a note from the fia like pointing out this new directive that they were going to have because of uh what we've seen in the past with other cars lining up to draft off of each other and no one wanting to go first, and all of these really slow outlaps because of it, which led to other drivers kind of getting messed over for their quality laps. And so the directive that was put out that every car had to stay within a minimum of one minute, 41 seconds, I believe it was, to be exact. It was either 141 or 142. It was one or the other. Yep. Uh, Regardless of that, Leclerc, so the Ferraris were noted, you know, of this especially Carlos Sainz. But the reason that it didn't end up going through is because also in that directive, it says that they could be let off, whoever does it, could be let off the hook for, uh, it's like, ext- you know, extreme circumstances. There has there could be an, a circumstance that uh, allows them not to get a penalty because of X, Y, Z. And mm-hmm. so for the Ferraris, the X, Y, Z was when they were doing um, the prep, I believe it was the prep. It was either the prep lap or the yeah, it was the prep lap. When they were doing the prep lap, they were also trying to stay out of the way of other drivers who were on the push lap, and so they didn't want to interfere, get in the way, and then get a penalty for that. And so moving out of the way to avoid certain situations, and I think they were just over a one forty one. I think they were mm-hmm. like just if I if I'm not mistaken. So I think like just for that directive thing, it was, I mean, I think like for the FIA, that directive should have been issued, you know, before the weekend started, because once we, once you get into the weekend, you know that this is going to happen. This always happens at Monza. Always. So these drivers are always going to do it. There's always, they're always going to be trying to get that advantage, right, Daly? So yep. I think for, for Carlos Sainz, bringing it back. He was fantastic this weekend. Uh, this has to be a big boost of confidence for him. Um, and it really looked like he just fought like hell out there today. It, it did. And it, it, he just seemed to me to be determined that he was going to get a good result today because he didn't yeah. seem like, I, I mean, 
there was that mistake where he locked up and then Max passed him, but that that was about it. I mean, from what was a pretty flawless weekend, because if you go back to Quali, you have Charles that goes, takes provisional pull, then Max comes along, steals provisional pull, and we're like, yeah, well, because of course that's what Max does, because mm-hmm. he's just too good. And then Carlos comes along and then pips Max by what was like a couple hundredths or something like that. And, you know, you could hear the roar over the the, the television feed and everything like that. And I'm just like, that's impressive. <laughs> that's yeah. really impressive. I mean, yeah. to, to beat Max like that. And, you know, it, it was it, it was great to see. But, you know, he had a really good scrap with Max, but then he didn't cave to the pressure from his teammate either. I mean, Charles had that that big lockup on lap 50 or 49 or whatever. 51 of 51. Yeah. Yeah, right right at the very end there, kind of going into the chicane and just kind of like one all or nothing kind of lunge. It's just like, don't commit the cardinal sin of taking your teammate out. But uh, Man, like yeah. I get it. You want to like race your teammate and stuff. But if I'm like Fred Vasseur, man, I am on the horn to that guy. Like, <laughs> like, sh- like you better not run into the bat. Like do not take each other out. Like I would have been all over the team radio with him because – yeah. I thought one of the interesting thing was Carlos was doing so much defending and fighting against Sergio towards the end of that race. You know, you're killing the tire, right? Like you're you're degging the tire ridic- and a ridiculous amount. Where Leclerc is just kind of hanging back. Like he was yep. always kind of there, right? Like he was always just kind of hanging around, hanging in there. I think that he didn't want to get involved in that little scrap. So when Perez finally got past Sainz, Leclerc would have a bit more tire to go and fight his teammate. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because he he was he was just right there, but you know, he just didn't want to to get too involved, like you say. And but then this, he just that's never a, really did. But daily though, we're here like we're racing, right? Like I, I think like if if that were true, like I think Leclerc should have been dusting it up. Like he should have been getting in there too, because you don't know what's gonna happen with Sergio's tires. Like you don't know how quickly that was gonna dag on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he really could have mixed it up and, you know, thrown the gloves off, you know, so to speak, and really, really made more of a challenge. Like, I, I, I don't know, like in that opening phase before, you know, lap 15, when, when Max finally passed uh, Carlos, but I, I was just like, I wanted, like, I, I was willing, like, come on, get right on there, get, get on Max's mm-hmm. gearbox, let's, let's hassle this guy and then mm-hmm. let's see what, uh, what, what really happens. I mean, I don't know if he wanted to, I don't know if he could. I, I was jumping back and forth between the different cars and he was pretty quiet on the radio. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't a lot of chatter going back yeah. between Charles and the pits compared to some of the other drivers. Yeah. And I was just, I was, I was trying to, kind of get inside of his head and try and figure it out and i'm not sure i really reached a conclusion as to what he was thinking or doing so i don't know we'll, we'll leave that one out there so claire obviously finishing p4 uh he didn't seem too upset after the race either so you know there's there's that i'm not too sure how you know <laughs> he because he was doing the interviews sky sports right and he just seemed quite jovial and i was like uh, maybe deep down inside, you're probably not that happy with Carlos Sainz, you know, <laughs> on older tires, worn out tires, beating you. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just interesting. I I think that driver pairing is, uh, is a good one. I think it's a strong one. And yep. I think the more comfortable Sainz gets with everything, especially the team and then knowing his place within it, 
I think we're going to start to see who's like, you know, who's the top dog at that team. I mean, obviously Leclerc's one lap quality pace is he's incredible, but I still think that Sainz is a really good, really good race car driver all in general. Um, George Russell came home fifth. Good, good race from George, uh, considering all that he had to deal with in his race as well. And then obviously his teammate, Lewis Hamilton, finishing sixth. Then you have Alex Albon in seventh. So the Mercedes of George and Lewis, it's a little surprising to see how far back they were. I think that just goes to show us how strong Ferrari was this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing I thought was interesting about Lewis was we'll, we'll talk about, I guess we should talk about the incident with Oscar Piastri, but yeah. it was interesting, like out of those top runners, Lewis was the only guy that started on the hards. Mm-hmm. Everybody else started on the mediums. And as like, after he had his pit stop, he was on the radio to Bono saying, I don't think these tires are basically going to make it to the end is what he was saying. But then that last phase, I mean, boy, did he ever have like pace because he was behind that, that little squabble of Albon, Lando and Piastri and he gobbled up all that uh, all that uh, you know you know space between them on the track of course he has a little coming together with Oscar but I mean he got around well obviously he got past uh, Oscar and obviously Oscar came out the worst for that but then Lewis you know fortunately from from his point of view he didn't have any damage he passes Lando he passes Alex comes back from the stewards that hey you were 100% at fault say uh, you know at uh, at uh, Varianti there it turns 4 and 5 with that coming together with uh, with, with Piastri you're getting a 5 second penalty for that and then by the time it's all said and done he had I the last I noticed was about six-ish seconds, like over Alex Al- <clears throat> Albon. So he didn't actually end up like, you know, I mean, it could have been a lot worse for him, mm-hmm. but it was uh, it was amazing. But, uh, you know, when, when you look at the job that Ferrari's done recently and then uh, Mercedes, I mean, there, there's no real surprise that they've leapfrogged Aston Martin in the, in, in the Constructors' uh, Championship. And just sort of like speaking specifically about George and Lewis, I mean, sure, they haven't had the big, like, glitzy, like, big results this year, but with the car that hasn't been the greatest and the car that they've had obvious challenges with, where they've actually changed philosophy, like, midstream, like, after half a dozen races or whatever it was, they've been consistent. They've been mm-hmm. bringing home points together. And, you know, I know that, uh, that George had a DNF recently and et cetera, but still, I mean, that's, 250 whatever points that they have in the constructors i mean those are some pretty well-earned points for 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 mercedes because every single one of those i feel like they fought for them hard out on the track it's shocking to see them second in the in the constructor standings just considering the the start to the season you know they they even had daily i i am i am shocked that they are you know second currently in the constructors just you know behind red bull I I wouldn't never have thought that when we got to through testing and then the race started in Bahrain. I was like, there's you know, there's no way this yep. team is going to be second in and maybe not even top three, considering where they are at the start of the season. So the turnaround, like you said, you know, that they have had is extremely impressive. I mean, yep. how much faster can this car? get that Mercedes has. I mean, maybe a little bit. I think they're going to be strong in Singapore. I think they'll probably give Red Bull a, a good run there. Uh, but outside of that, you know, I have this feeling that they've probably start to turn back the development on this car and they've, 
you know, they've already started working on next year's car. They, they did that a while back, but I think like it's, it's going to be full push mode on that 2024 car because there is a lot of work that needs to be done there. And from here on out, it's just learning for them. So whatever they develop for next year's car, I, I bet you they just throw it on this car right here and they see what, what comes of it, right? Just to save on some of that um, aerodynamic testing restrictions that they, they are currently under. Um, yep. And then, you know, obviously burn through the rest of their budget that they have now so they can save that budget for 2024 cars. So I think like for them, they've set themselves up really well. I think they've set themselves up well for 2024. I, I honestly think that they could probably get back into this fight with Red Bull next season. Um, you can kind of hear it in Christian Horner's voice at some points when he's asked about next season, when he's asked about all this kind of stuff. So it's, it is, uh, it, it is something, there is something there and I'm quite fascinated to see how it turns out for Mercedes. As for Alex Albon, I mean, this guy has been absolutely incredible this season right? like holy hell guy comes home p7 like uh, in a car that probably shouldn't be there <laughs> i don't oh, i don't yeah, think this, this yeah, that's a fair comment there, fair comment <laughs> i mean you're talking we are literally this is how you and i are talking right now red bull ferrari mercedes williams <laughs> so if you were to go back daily to Bahrain and tell me that by the time we got past summer break, we would be naming teams in that order and how they finish within a race, I would have said you're nuts. <laughs> hey, you would have been uh, justified doing so. I, I pulled up some stats and uh, I got them here on my notepad. So you look at the Constructors Championship for 2020. I you have so, a notepad, dude. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I did. I punched it up on the fly because I didn't have the tabs open. Awesome. So I, I, I quickly scratched it down. So in 2023, after 14 races, Williams has 21 points in the Constructors, all thanks to Alex Albon. Yeah. 22 between Albon, DeFries, and Nick Latifi, they had eight. Go back to 21, they had 23 points, care of Nick Latifi and George yeah. Russell. George had 16 points. 20, they had zero points. 19, they had one point for the entire season. Yeah. So, so far this season, after 14 races, even though they're, they're still two points behind where they were in 21, all those points are coming courtesy of Alex Albon. And I, I know that's not a lot of points compared to up at the top, but that actually for a team like Williams, I think is massive. Yeah. And I, I'm just, I, I'm really impressed because I think finally they've got the right person there as team principal in, in James Voles, because I, I don't think you see that kind of improvement under the, the, the previous like regime of the uh, Yas Capito. I mean, there was some improvements, but not really. They, they were marginal at best. And, uh, you know, we talked about it on, on our podcast a couple of months ago. There was a quote where Vols was saying something that he wanted something developed specifically for the car. He wanted it done in three months. And the response that came back from the design team was like, oh, usually that would take us three years, <laughs> to which I think you know, that must have been a real... Oh my God, what have I gotten myself into moment for James Voles? But here, here's a guy that's been with Mercedes over the past 10 years of dominance and he comes to a team like, like Williams. I mean, I mean, and let's face it for Williams, the, the only way to go was up. 
And I, I think that's what, what we're seeing and why we're having conversations about Alex Albon being where he is, is directly because of, uh, of James Wills. And, and I love Alex. I think he's a super talented driver. I don't, I think it's unfortunate the way that, uh, that it worked out for him at Red Bull. And I think it was the right opportunity at the wrong time. You know, it just, it just you know, things, everything that probably could have gone wrong for Alex Albon during his Red Bull stint. <laughs> it, it did but you know he's rebounded nicely and and i think that he's doing some some great things there i, I think he we, he deserves a lot of respect and a lot of credit one of the things that you know james val said to said to me when you know i was got to hang out with him a bit have dinner with him at the williams factory and stuff when i was at the british grand prix was the fact that you know when he was at mercedes they always had top line equipment they had the best equipment around and then they had spares of those best pieces of equipment <laughs> wow <laughs> he says with williams where he's at now he's like he doesn't have the best equipment and there are no spares <laughs> <laughs> oh my just, gosh yeah just incredible to see you know what he and that team have done working together i see him he's a very motivational he's a very motivational guy like there was a there was a speech that he had he had given to the team uh, recently that I had seen, and it, you know he was talking a lot about how like you know when things get really tough, you know you usually end up getting scared, and he's like one of the best things to do is keep pushing into the fear, and you'll eventually get to the other side of it, and it won't be as scary as you thought it was going to be, and so it was like a very motivational thing to the entire team. I think one of the things for this team is that internally has been divided for a really long time. And I mm -hmm. think having, you know, James there now, he's really found a way of bringing everybody together. Um, and you know, that, then that shows in the work, right. And that shows in, in the car and that shows in how you, you know, bring parts to the car and how hard you work and how, and all of these different things down the line. Right. And you just add the great driver uh, to the mix as well. And I think Alex really fits in the team really well there. He's very comfortable. I think he knows that this is his team, right? He's finally, I think for him, the pressure of being under that Red Bull racing sort of umbrella, being away from that has allowed him to just relax a lot more. And mm -hmm. I, that's why I think we're getting the performances that we are getting. Like This is a really great driver. And I just remember, you know, a lot of the stuff, seeing from him and formula his formula two days and so once he got the formula one and things really started to break down for him it was a little shocking for me to watch because i knew just how good this driver was yeah, yeah. and so now that he's at williams i think we're we are really seeing that but i think we're also seeing the you know coming together of a, of a team at the same time really great story i yeah. really happy for for them i mean all the crap that they've gone through over the years it's good stuff i like oh it. yeah ab absolutely and I, i've always been a fan of williams i grew up in the the era of nigel mansell when i was a kid you go over to damon hill and then jv was there he got his chip there and what was it 97 97 yeah I'm, yeah you know i mean i i always 
I, I love that team. And then, you know, it was, it just became so painful. Just like how the wheels fell off. I mean, if you kind of go back as recently as 15 or 16, I mean, this was a team that still had like an outside shot for a podium on, on, on any given Sunday. And they really, I mean, they just, disappeared into the abyss there so it's great to see them starting to to poke their heads back up again because you know what would i mean this isn't a team that's just been on the grid this is a team that's won races yeah. and championships i mean it's just it's painful to watch yeah so much heritage so much yep. you know legacy within that team at the same time and again like you said you know there were some really dark days there and it's great great to see where they've where they were to where they've come to now and also Doralton giving them yep. the investment that they need to to make those jumps and leaps has been it's been really great to see um Lando Norris finishing P8 in the McLaren difficult race weekend for McLaren they did bring a new rear wing to the car to to kind of help trim it out a bit more and help with that straight line speed and just didn't really work out for them this weekend I don't think and you know, obviously, like you had mentioned earlier, he had that coming together with his teammate Oscar Piastri and Andrea Stella. You know, said to us after the race like he wasn't he was not happy mm-hmm. um, with either either one of them at all. Saying, "quote There should never be contact between two McLaren cars." Um, he was not a happy guy at the end of this one uh, daily, and nor should he be. I mean, I don't know how if you're Lando and Oscar, you, you make contact there like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just like they, the old rule is you'd ever drive into your teammates kind of thing. And, oh, yeah. you know, it's just like, I, I, it's, it's a good moment because they didn't take each other out. I mean, you know, Oscar's incidents, I mean, his, uh, his P12 was because of his coming together with, uh, with, with Lewis there at the, you know, the latter stages of the race, but it's just, uh, you guys have a good car, and even though they weren't quite on it this weekend, as we've seen over the past uh, several races, I mean, this should have been like an easy, or I would say easy, but they should have felt confident that they could take like a double points finish home. It's like, yeah, the the wings not working like uh, like you said, Tim, but still, there there were there were points there to be had, and you know, maybe. I don't want to say luck or fate or whatever, but you know, it's just like it's it's funny how things even out over the course of a a race weekend. But yeah, I, I saw like Stella's comments, and he, he's totally right. You know, there there's there's nothing in what he said about like Lando and Oscar. You know that uh, that that I did uh, disagree with. It's like sure, if you think you're faster than your teammate, you know, go for it. But you know, be smart about it. Yeah, and like at least like let the be more forceful with the team. To, to to make them make the decision to let you buy. Yeah. Yeah. At least be as forceful with them as you can. Um but yeah, the they they you know, those are two cars obviously at this point. They should not be coming together, man. They should be doing everything they can to get points uh for this team, considering where they started at the beginning of the season, currently McLaren fifth in the constructor standings with 115 points um in front of them daily. Aston Martin Fernando Alonso just coming home, scoring points in ninth place. Man, they such a weird thing with this team, right? But I think this mm-hmm. was a track that they knew they weren't going to be that competitive at. I remember, you know, I heard from Fernando Alonso after qualifying and 
He said they basically qualified where they thought they were going to. It was in between. What did he say? He said like it was in between like ninth and twelfth, and I think he was, I think he was tenth, if I remember correctly, where he started. But like regardless, basically yep. not you know not a strong weekend for Aston Martin and for them to go from you know being in a fight with Mercedes for that second place in the constructors. They've already they fallen down to fourth is probably pretty disappointing for this team well well it has to be i mean like i i think that you know the, the question of recovering to like second in the the constructors i think i think it's got to be a bit of a pipe dream for them at the moment because uh mclaren sorry uh, mclaren <laughs> mercedes 273 aston martin 217 i mean mercedes is quickly becoming a dot on the horizon just yeah. disappearing down the road there mm-hmm. i mean the, the the shocking thing for for them was i i know going into this race they didn't have a huge lead over ferrari in the constructors i think it was plus or minus 15 points yeah, it was it less than 20 it was something like that it yeah. wasn't a lot you know ferrari you know, they they brought home 27 points today between charles and carlos and and the thing is now and i was thinking about it after the race when i was looking at the updated standings okay there there's a lot of like ground between aston and mclaren i mean mclaren's got 115 there's 102 points there but i i couldn't help but thinking to myself had McLaren started the season stronger instead of waiting or not waiting, but getting to the point just in those couple of races before the summer break, before those, we saw that quantum yep. leap forward in the, 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 the performance of that car. It's just like, if they'd started stronger, you know, Aston Martin might you know, not be, they, they might be locked in a battle with Mercedes or sorry, McLaren at this point yeah. in the season. So you know, it's just it's it's really kind of shocking to see because we we know when that car is working well. And and to be quite honest, I didn't think this would be a strong track for them either. But boy, I mean, talk about like a, a really sort of black and white sort of season. You know, it's just like it's highs and lows for them. I mean, when they've been good, they've been really good. Yeah. I mean, how many times has Fernando been on the podium? Like seven times this year, whatever it was. I mean, great stuff. And then when they're when they're cold, <laughs> they're ice yeah. cold, man. Yeah. And today was one of the this week was one of those ice cold weekends, unfortunately. Yeah, it hasn't hasn't been good for them at all. I think once we get to Singapore, it'll probably be a different story for them. Yeah. That's a track that I think they're gonna excel at. Uh, it is a track that suits their car. This, you know, Monza really, really didn't. So, you know, hats off to Fernando for capturing some points this weekend. Disappointing weekend for, for Lance again. I mean, this time, like the guy, he's got no luck daily. Like, holy jeez. <laughs> so started the weekend. Felipe Drogovic was there, is their reserve driver. And every F1 team has to run their reserve drivers, rookie driver, uh, young driver in an FP1 session throughout the season. And so Aston Martin decided to throw Felipe into the car for this race in free practice one. So they used Lance car for that. And then in free practice two, they had a fuel pump issue with the car. Then in a few free practice three, since the, we have the um, tire allocation for this weekend where you only get 11 tires, for Lance, only getting a handful of laps, really, not getting through all of the tire, and then having to throw yourself into qualifying with a car you don't really know in terms of the balance, and 
trying to qualify this this thing that you just you don't know because you never got to set it up. So mm-hmm. just a totally disappointing weekend for him. Drove well in the race to get himself to where where he was. I mean, cat that that has to be very. I mean, deflating for a driver when you're starting like dead last and then, you know, fighting your way up to up to P16. He was in some battles for, I think it was P12, P11 at some points. But yeah, again, just just tough weekend for the guy, just waiting for it to click for him, you know? Yeah, it's it, it's been... I mean, the season for Lance just started wrong, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. when, he, when he broke his wrist in it, I feel like he never recovered from that. I mean, physically he recovered for, from it, but it's just, it, it just seemed like it just sort of set the wrong tone to the year. And it just, you know, it, it just seems like it, it was that and it was this and another thing. And it's just like, I, I feel like, no pun intended, the guy can't catch a break at the moment, you yeah. know? No, but seriously, just, you're right. Yeah. It's just like how many more weird things can go wrong for a guy, and it's just like, you know, it, it must be so frustrating, just so frustrating. Especially knowing that, like, on you know, more more often than not, you're going to have a competitive car. I mean, with with some examples uh, being, you know, the uh, contrary to that, Monza being one, but you know, probably uh, most of the time you're going to have a pretty competitive car, and you know, the latest weird thing comes along. So who knows? Poor Lance. Ah, oh, man. Um, Valtteri Bottas getting that last points posi- paying position. That's a really nice drive from him on Sunday. Really uh, I'll nice. Be, I'll be really honest with you, Tim. That completely took me by surprise yeah. because I was so focused on what was happening with the Ferraris. I was really focused on what, uh, you know, if Lewis was going to be able to hold on to that P6 and whether or not, you know, he was going to fall back behind uh, Albon or Lando or potentially even uh, you know, Fernando at one point. I was really focused on that. And then when I looked at the final race classification, I see Valtteri at P10. I'm like, Hey, wait! Where did Valtteri come from? That's awesome. Good for him. I thought that was a, I thought that was a great result for him in Alpha. I really do. Yeah, it's awesome. Like you see that there was, you know, the battle. Like even Logan Sargent was in on it at some points, trying to hang on to that mm. P10. And you know, Logan drove really well this weekend. At the same time, he obviously not on the same level as as Alex, and there are many who are. Um, yeah, I, I thought that battle for that final points bank position was really exciting. I mean, you even had Liam Lawson in there mixing it up yeah. as well, just in his yep. second Grand Prix daily, like his first full weekend. Yep. Well, you know, we were having this conversation. It's like, well, you know, like there, there isn't like you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't situation with a broken hand for for Danny Ricardo. Like if you come back too soon, you you might be kind of screwed because then maybe you kind of have like the same sort of situation you like Lance was faced with at the beginning of the year. If you wait too long, maybe Liam Lawson does more. But I'm just like, why is nobody talking about Yuki Sonoda? I mean, like, you know, like Danny did some pretty good like uh, work, you know, compared to Yuki at those first couple of races before he got injured. And look at what Liam Lawson Lawson's done. Yeah. Like if, if I'm sitting there, like in like uh, AlphaTauri, like uh, like head office, I'm kind of thinking, "Wow, what is my best pairing?" Because I mean, Yuki's been in that car for two and a half years now, and you know, it, it's it's just like you know, 
And granted, Dan had been out of Formula One for a long time, but he wasn't conditioned compared to the rest of the drivers. And, 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 and Liam, I mean, wow. I mean, what he's come in at the last moment to do at Zanfort. And then this weekend, I'm, I'm seriously impressed with what Liam Lawson has done in the last two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think outside of that, it's like, we, what could have Yuki Sonoda have done if he, you know, hadn't have pulled off with, uh, engine issues? Yeah, there yep. on the formation lap, it kind of makes you wonder. At the same time, right? As for uh, Daniel Ricardo, update on his injury. Uh, Christian Horner updated everyone at the uh, end of this one. Uh, obviously, Ricardo breaking his uh, wrist at the Dutch Grand Prix. Uh, Horner said that it would be optimistic if he were to be ready for Japan. Uh, so that means he will miss Singapore and just most likely will miss Japan at the same time. Probably won't be back until Qatar in October at the earliest. So I don't think mm-hmm. uh, Red Bull really want to want to rush him back daily. Yeah, nor, nor should you. I mean, like uh, it's that's why he's he's in a, in a tough spot. Like, I mean, he obviously wants to get like a, a, a race seat for next year, mm-hmm. but. I mean, it was just horrible timing for him. And, and I thought he'd done really well in those previous uh, couple of races before, you know, he had that, uh, that crash at Zanfort. And it's just, uh, it's tough. But it, it, I really think that it, it uh, poses an interesting scenario for Alpha Tauri for 2024 because they're kind of like relaunching this team, right? Yeah. And I, I feel yeah. like they're trying to come up with like a, a new identity. And I think that they could really do that in, in many ways. And the driver pairing could be one of them. And, you know, certainly I think Dan Ricardo's made a good case for himself, has his Liam Lawson. So I think they got some hard questions to ask themselves, like uh, over the course of, well, the next weeks, months, the, the off season, whatever it is. But uh, it, it's <laughs> I did I didn't think I'd be like talking about AlphaTauri in this way because right? it just tends to be like a feeder team. <laughs> but it's 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 kind of really developed in a way I don't think that anybody's really expected. So it's it's kind of cool. Uh, I want to talk about Alpine. It's a uh, yep. horrible weekend for them. Pierre Gasly finishing yeah. P fifteen. Uh, then you got Esteban Ocon who DNF'd. But at the same time, I mean, he wasn't in the fight either way. Nope. So. The engine in particular sounds like it could be a bit of an issue. So the engines are basically sealed now, for those of you listening. You can't really do too much to the engine unless you have a very good reason for your particular power unit to have reliability issues. And then they allow you to open it up and fix and retool and make it better. For Alpine, though, they're, they're claiming they're down on horsepower. So my question is, how the hell do you get down on horsepower when you've been given all this time to be on the same footing as everybody else? <laughs> well, I just well, don't get that. Like, yeah. w- Look at everyone else who's had to go through that. Look at all the other teams. that Look at Honda. Yeah, like, exactly. Well, it's crazy. I'm just looking now at the the Q1 times. So Gasly and Ocon, they they got knocked out in Q1. They they set basically the identical time. Like Pierre set a 122.545, Esteban uh, set a 122.548. So Carlos Sainz had the fastest time in Q1. His was a 121.96. So I mean, they're they're like six tenths off, yeah. like the, right right there. And it, that that's 
that that's big. That's that's a big big difference yeah. right there. And I mean the like the cutoff time. Logan was the slowest car, I guess, or the the the, the first of the quickest last quickest cars. Last quickest cars yeah. <laughs> so so he qualified or he made it out of Q one and fifteenth. He his time was a one twenty one point nine three. So they're like you know that was his fastest Q one time. So I mean that's. You know, there, there's quite a bit of a difference there. I mean, if that was the, their two fastest times compared to some of the other ones, I mean, they're like half a second off at least. I mean, that's just crazy stuff right there. I just, I can't, I just can't believe it compared to like you. You take a look at where Alpine was last season, mm-hmm. and like you know, fighting with McLaren for you know fourth and you know the constructors, and it's like, how do you go from that to where you are now? And there's been glimpses where you know Alpine's been really yeah. good. Like yeah. really, really good. My question is like, and they're probably going to be strong. Like I think Alpine will probably be pretty strong once we get to Singapore and a few of the other races that we get to later on this season as well. But you know, you go to a track like Vegas, like then that's probably the next big power track that we have coming up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to look like a similar situation. So for, for them, it's kind of like, my question is, how did it get like this? Like, how did it get to the point where you're suffering? from a lack of horsepower in the power unit, considering how long they've had to, to work on this thing. They have two really good drivers. They have a, they have a really good, like the, the, the structure of the team itself, uh, like the crew at the track, like very strong, like it's a strong team. And it's like, how did, how did they lose their way on that? And then how are they going to convince everyone to let them open up the engine and either bump mm-hmm. up the horsepower somehow or make some sort of an excuse where you can just say, hey, this is a reliability issue and maybe that fixes things for them. You know, it's it's interesting, too, when you think about Oscar Piastri and Fernando Alonso and the way that they really, you know, pulled the Band-Aid off and moved to different teams or, you know, maybe not moved to in so much in Oscar's case. But it kind of makes you wonder, what did these two really know or what what, what concerns did they have? Because, I mean, especially Fernando looked pretty yeah. ruthless in the way that he moved over to Aston Martin. Point. And, and, and I'm sure as much as Fernando's sitting there right now thinking, mm, you got a couple of things maybe to worry about here, he's probably looking at Alpine thinking, I'm glad that i'm driving a green aston martin rather than that uh, that that blue and pink alpine right now because they're they're just uh it's it's just a mess you know it's yeah it's it's so up and down uh let's talk about um there's some comments that uh hamilton had made at uh the beginning of the weekend speaking with sky sports uh basically said I'm paraphrasing, but essentially Hamilton had said that all the teammates that he has had were stronger than the ones that Max Verstappen has had. And Hamilton's teammates, I can just rattle them off here for you. Alonzo, uh, Heike Kovalainen, Button, Rosberg, Bottas, Russell. Okay, we've got... Alonzo uh, with many- two two world championships for, for Alonzo. You got Button yeah. with one. You've got yeah. Rosberg with one. You got uh, Bottas with zero. And you've got Russell with zero. And you've got Kovalainen with zero. What do you think? 
I, I I don't disagree with Luis's statements. I mean, <laughs> to come out on top of that uh, that that battle with Fernando way back in the day, and you know, considering like how young he was, I mean, and then again with Jensen, and then you know those years with Rosberg, and as as toxic and nasty as those were, and I mean, and and like you say, I mean, Rosberg beat Lewis in like uh, you know sixteen, and you know like when Lewis was like. <clears throat> When, when he was unbeatable in those cars, right? And I mean, like, like obviously, and I don't want to make this, you know, sort of derogatory towards Valtteri, but I mean, Rosberg was clearly that little bit better than, 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 than Bottas was. I think that I Bottas agree. was like the, the ideal teammate, especially for like, uh, you know, Toto and like, the, like Mercedes management, because he's going to win your races. He's going to bring home a ton of points. And, you know, it's just like, like, like what sort of like complaint would you have? Like, uh, if like, uh, you know, Bottas comes to you and say, Hey, you're winning races. We're winning championships. Yeah. Lewis is just faster than you. So, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you compared to like, like Max's teammates, you know, come on. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't Ver- think there's any comp. Verstappen's teammates, Carlos Sainz, when they yep. were at, uh, Toro Rosso together, Daniel Ricardo. Yep. I still, I still like during those times, man, Daniel was a good driver then. Like, yeah, that Array, was a good one-two punch. Yeah, Ray Ricardo extremely high Me in too. those years, and maybe he could get back to those. Uh, Pierre Gasly, again, though, not the Pierre Gasly that we know of now. Yes. Alex Albon, again, not the Alex Albon that we know of now. And Sergio Perez. So, yeah. I would rate Perez and Ricardo as the strongest of those teammates. And, and and that's not to take away anything from Gasly, Science, et cetera, but and Albon, but it's just that they were like at a different point in their development as drivers being younger, whereas Ricardo was already like a known quantity. Like he was pretty much proven, you know, we might say like go, go back and look at it in 10 years and say, oh yeah, that's time that he spent at RBR with Max. That was peak Dan Ricardo. And then Sergio Perez, I mean, you know, he'd already been in F1 for what, like 10 years mm-hmm. by the time he got to Red Bull. So you know, I mean, they're all good drivers, but I mean, Carlos was still developing as were the other ones. So, you know, compared to like Lewis going up against some rock stars and mm-hmm. like the like the prime of their careers. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. like Fernando was already a double world champion yeah. at that point. Right. Yeah. You know, and when, when they were teammates, um, I just feel it was a little out of character for, for Lewis to to say something like that. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. I liked it. Uh Gave us something to talk about. I think we need to remember that, you know, Hamilton is, and here's something that no one really pointed out. Like Hamilton's trying to battle for, for second in this constructor or in this driver's uh, championship here. Mm-hmm. And one of the things with that is, is obviously currently Lewis is fourth in the driver's championship. He came out of the summer breaks saying publicly that he's going for second in this driver's world championship, trying to catch up to, to Sergio Perez, who's obviously Max Verstappen's teammate. Mm-hmm. So there could be a little, you know, mind, mind games, games going on there. Lewis is good at that. You know, like we've yep. seen him do it before in the past. He's really, really clever when it comes to that stuff, man. And, you know, Hamilton also saying that he sees, what was it? He sees that there is no more, was no more special achievement in what Max is doing at the moment than what Schumacher did, Alonzo Vettel, Raikkonen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Horner responded to to that. 
And he said, quote, on a positive note, it's great to see that he signed up for another couple of years. And obviously he's still motivated, still fit enough for the challenge. And I'm sure there will be a few battles between him and Max over the next few years, end quote. Uh, <laughs> Christian Horner, man, just firing right back. Right? Just <laughs> yeah, and th- you know, I I thought it was like a a good quote. Say, you know, like uh, you know, for from from both of them, uh, obviously. And you know, Lucy, he's only six points behind Fernando. He's got 164. Fernando 170. So that that's doable. I mean, third is a realistic goal. I mean, to to catch Sergio. You know, it, it could happen, but then again, I, I would think that for for that to happen, you know, Lewis is going to need to get some good results. But then I think that you know, in in fairness to to Sergio, that if he was to give away that many points to Lewis, because he's on two nineteen, so that that's a pretty good big, big gap, he'd have to slump pretty hard like he did earlier in the the the, the season. And I kind of feel like Sergio's found equilibrium. Like he started the season well, he won some races, he had like like his his dark period, and I feel like he's found his feet again. Like qualifying eh, could still maybe do a little bit better here and there, but I mean, you know, that was a solid result for him today. I mean, yeah. it was a P two, but he he fought for it and he worked hard for it, and I think, uh, you know, I I I think that Sergio's pretty much. He's pretty close to being at his best right now. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's getting there. He's 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 definitely trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting stuff uh, from Total Wolf earlier in in the weekend. Um, it was a basically it was a question posed to him in the fact that you know is what's going on right now with Red Bull Max Verstappen and the dominance that they are, are showing bad for, for formula one. And essentially one of the things that they're kind of driving at is if, you know, the FIA were to introduce some sort of trick that could trip up Red Bull and allow the other teams to sort of uh, claw their way back into this thing. And just for some context for the listeners and viewers uh, who don't know much about the backstory. So in 2020, you know, Mercedes had, the best, I would say, the best car that they have ever, ever built, and nobody could beat them. They were incredible mm-hmm. in 2020. And then in 2021, you know, the FIA introduced a regulation at the last minute to the rear floor, so rear floor changes. Uh, so those were put in place, essentially sort of to slow down Mercedes. There were cutouts in the floor at the back. Um, the outcome from the floor change, though, you know, Mercedes was not as competitive as Red Bull was. But in Silverstone, it really looked like, you know, Mercedes unlocked a lot of the performance from the car and got themselves back into the championship fight. So for, mm-hmm. you know, for Toto, he was kind of sort of asked about, you know, all of this. And Lewis had said on Thursday, you know, that rules were brought in to slow down Mercedes' domination. And a few team principals said that, you know, there shouldn't be any tinkering with the regulations to stop a team from, from dominating. And essentially total Wolf really agreed with, with all that felt that it was up to the teams to, to catch up said, you know, we can't be like the WWE and be scripted content. (laughs) You know, we want, we, we don't want to be scripted content. And you know what? Like I, I agree with him. I just, um, I just think that, the regulation that's in place that they've got now 
I think there needs to be some tinkering with that in terms of the the arrow testing regulation and the cost cap for the leading teams. Yeah, I I agree. And I agree with like Toto's comments about like not want, you know, like basically having scripted, although I wouldn't mind seeing Toto embrace his inner (laughs) macho man, Randy Savage might be kind of fun. But yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Because you don't want to see you I don't want to see one team run away with it, right? Mm -hmm. But on the same time, and it doesn't matter Red Bull or Mercedes or Ferrari, whoever might be dominating it kind of goes against what I think is the, it goes against what I believe what formula one should be to like introduce rules to pull somebody back in. So I, I agree with those comments that Toto and others have made that, yeah, okay. One team is dominating, but they're setting the bar. It's up for everyone else to, to catch up rather than have something legislated by, by the FIA to, to, to pull them back. It's just like, you know, innovate. This is, this is, you know, innovate and engineer. This is what, you know, formula one's supposed to be about, you know, guys do your jobs is, is basically what it is. I know it's, it's a little bit more difficult now in a cost cap era is that you, you just can't throw the car into the wind tunnel for six months. You can't throw endless amount of money at stuff. So granted it is a little bit more difficult, but Hey, formula one was never supposed to be easy. No, I, I just, then I, if, if they're not going to do something to sort of, bring cars that get away back like you know dtm they were using ballast mm-hmm. um and that actually you know what it made the championship extremely exciting like dtm is an awesome championship to watch because you never know who's going to win either it's kind of like indycar the same with the yep. same respect but with with this i just think the the term of the aerodynamic regulation, so the chassis regulation, I think that needs to be extended. I don't think that should be changed once we get to 2026. I think that needs to be extended. I think this yeah, needs, yeah. I think they need to stick with what they've got for longer because it's such a fast turnover, right, Daly? I mean, the new regulation came in in 2022 and then it's going to change again at the end of 2025. Well, that doesn't make any sense. That means that yeah, like we're already halfway there. Yeah. And it's like, and you have Red Bull who's got this huge gap. So now you got to let the other teams catch up. And by the time they catch up, you're moving, you're moving the goalpost again. And it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Because then, you know, you get into like a new era of regs yeah. and then maybe Red Bull nails it and they're still just as dominant or maybe we kind of see history repeating itself because when we came into the V6 Turbo Hybrid era, Mercedes was the one to beat. And then we changed things up in 22 and Red Bull's the team to beat. And who knows, you change it again in in short order that maybe, you know, who knows, right? It's just, yeah, yeah. I I don't want to do it either. Give these, like, you know, these, you know, this era a chance to settle down and, yeah, I, I guess if you're not a fan of Red Bull or or, or Max Verstappen, maybe you're, you're not enjoying it. But you know, give the others a chance to figure it out. You know, don't don't change it up every couple of years. I'm, I'm not a fan of that either. Because then, you know, what's going to happen is is that if they decide to go with you know what was rumored uh, a while ago was like movable aerodynamics. Yeah, and it's like. Well, what the hell do you think you know Adrian Newey's going to be good with? Like, like yeah. come on, like 
Well, it's also like inconsistent messaging because, you know, they've already like uh, issued all these TDs for yeah. like flexi wings flexi and stuff. Yeah, like, you know, exactly. It's just like, it's like I, I don't know. It's just like, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to get some days when I'm <laughs> hearing what's like, what's proposed. I'm just like, uh, I'm confused. Um, got some questions over in the debrief. So we'll head on over there now. We'll take cool. your questions from social media, uh, from at Rebel. Fraggle underscore. I'm the worst at pronouncing names, everybody. So my apologies. Cami from LJ. Do the teams use sleep performance coaches to adjust to different time zones in the F1 schedule? That's a great question. Um, some of them, yes, do. There, there, I do talk to actually a lot of the performance coaches of the drivers about sleep because you know, sometimes when I travel to go to cover an F1 race, I always get caught up on the sleep deprivation of all of it because uh, I have trouble adjusting to the, the time zones. And so, you know, the way that uh, the performance coaches, they actually walk, they've walked me through like how I should prepare. Uh, it was really quite interesting, actually. It was um, uh, speaking with uh, one of Lance Stroll's uh, performance coaches about it and you know fascinating to just understand that like when you're going to go for a big time change you have to make sure that you're trying to stay on as as best as time as they are so for for myself it was going from um it was going from canada to great britain time change of about six hours leaving at seven o'clock at night getting in at six o'clock in the morning and so it was basically um don't drink any coffee two days before your flight. So no caffeine whatsoever. Get onto your flight and then go to sleep like you normally would. And then mm. wake up at 6 a.m. on their time. And But then you have to stay up for that entire day. So you got to be up from 6 a.m. all the way through until when you're getting ready to when, – when sort of your bedtime is essentially, which would, for me is around like 10, 10.30 at night. Uh, and so making sure that you try to adhere to that and taking a tiny bit of melatonin for like Carlos sciences was interesting too, because he was going from, uh, the UK to Australia and his was trying to make sure he's staying awake, um, during natural light, but that also included on the flight, but then staying oh. away from, um, false light. So manufactured lighting. Uh, during the times that he should be asleep. So that, because they're traveling so long to get to Australia from, from Europe, right? So I found that pretty fascinating. But yeah, to answer your question, you know, a lot of them do actually have to work with um, sleep performance coaches or, or performance coaches uh, in general, just so they can, you know, get a good grasp of how to adjust to the time zones when they land there. From Michael Payne, if Max Verstappen retired today, where would you rank him in the all-time greats daily? Oh man, that Good is question. a tough question, right? Because you know it's one of those things. It's like, well, let's figure out where where driver X, whoever that that might be, Lewis, Max, whoever. Let's figure out where how they rank with all the greats once they they retire. But we usually assume somebody's going to retire when they're 
when they're ready and like they're kind of like on the the downhill side of their career but i mean with max we just don't know right because he's even said himself that you know he may pull the plug or he's kind of hinted at it that he might pull the plug sooner rather than later but i mean if if he were to retire today and and i'm going to assume at the end of this season which would mean it was like three championships in a row man yeah i mean to to like retire because he's only 25 so he's right I'm like, when, when do we say like Max was like at the prime, like the peak of his career? Is he at it Ooh, now? I Could he get better? Yeah. You know, it's just like, but the, the question would be is like, if he retired now, how many chips did he leave mm. out on the table? But I mean, certainly he'd have to be ranked up there, like with, with all the greats, just regardless if he races and stops, say this year or 10 years from now, you know, I mean, you know, like if if he goes on this year and then races for another ten years and doesn't you know win another championship, we could always look back and say, oh, back in the in, in back in the day, Max was better than anyone. But that's an interesting one. I, I, yeah, it is a great question. You know, I would yeah. I would say once he captures his third drivers' world championship, so at the you know I guess at this point the trajectory for it is Japan, him capturing that third drivers' world championship title. I, I would say, you know, we can then start to have those conversations. You can, that, that resume is starting to get quite robust considering you factor in, you know, how many, what, what is this winning streak going to look like? We're only at 10, right? It could go to 11 once we get to Singapore and then it could just keep going, man. Like, you know, there's that on top yep. of all of it. And then I think for currently, if you just look at the drivers he's lumped in with for just two, Drivers World Championship, Alberto Ascari, Graham Hill, yep. Jim Clark, Emerson Fittipaldi, Mika Hakkinen, Fernando Alonso, and Max yeah. Verstappen, all with two uh, Drivers Championships. So I think you can already begin or start to have that conversation because I'd say Fernando Alonso, because this is a driver who should have way more than two World Championships in Fernando Alonso. But 100%. If he gets that third one daily, you are now lumping him in with Jack Brabham, Jackie Stewart, Nikki Lauda, Nelson PK, Ayrton Senna. And Senna, again, we don't know how far he could have gone. It could have been more as well. And that is a driver who I put at the top of the top. He is, in my opinion, Senna, the, the greatest of all time, just yep. because of what he had to do with a race car and the cars that he had and what he was able to do with those race cars. And there's not yeah. a lot of drivers out there who are going to argue with me on that one. And so yeah. that for me, like Senna for me, he's, he, he's, he's number one. And then we talk about Schumacher, Hamilton, like, oh, I mean, obviously legendary drivers, legendary. And so I think for Max, you know, if he adds to this resume of his, we can start to have those conversations. I don't see why not. Well, I'll put in a little bit of a, a different uh, sort of motivation for back. So he's going to win three. <laughs> so the end of the year, he's going to be tied with his father-in-law, Nelson Piquet, who's also got uh, three uh, chips, which he won in 81, 83, and 87. Maybe he gets one more than the father-in-law, and then maybe retires after he gets four, just so, you know, within the family, he's got the bragging rights. And then Probably once you not. get to, yeah, <laughs> once you get to four, right, you're now talking post-Vettel. Yeah. territory and then once you get to, to five then you're in fangio and then you get the seven yeah. and that's like schumacher and hamilton and it's like i don't 
I don't necessarily see. I honestly don't necessarily see anyone, you know, get. I mean, it could happen. I, I, I could be wrong, but I don't see anyone getting to that, man. I yeah, still but, think the, the Hamilton Schumacher thing is, is out of reach for anybody. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, he, he's already, like, like you say, I mean, you, you look at the names that he's lumped with, lumped in with all, already, like Ascari, Hill, Clark, Emmo. I mean, gosh, I mean, those are great, great drivers. I mean, and it just gets better and better. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. I, I guess the big question is, is, you know, does, does he keep going? And if he keeps going, how many more does he win? Or does he end up in, <clears throat> Does he end up in some sort of like Fernando type situation? Because I totally agree with you. I, I think Fernando, uh, I think that when we see that he's got like two world championships, like to his credit, he should have, I, I think he should be up there in Prost Vettel territory. Easy. Yeah. You know, I agree and, you with know, you. If yet, yeah, yeah. If he was, yeah. if things had worked out different. So. Yeah, I agree with you yeah. for sure. Daily. That was a great question. Yeah, it was good. That, both those questions were quite excellent. So thanks very much yeah. everyone for, uh, for sending those in. Really appreciate that. Um, let everybody know what you got going on daily and where they can find you. So you can find me on Twitter at MarkDailyF1, and that's at Daily, D-A-I-L-E-Y. And you can find us, we're the Scootery F1 Podcast, also on Edder, Edder Twitter, X, and stumbling all over the place. Whatever it is, thanks, Elon. Formerly Anyways, known as Twitter. <laughs> formerly known as Twitter, and we're the Scootery F1 Pod there. And you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere you find Tim, we're there too. And we usually drop a show on Sunday nights after races and one during the uh, the week on usually Thursday nights or Friday morning. Daily, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks again, man, for taking the time. Thank really you. appreciate it. Uh, if you want more Nailing the Apex, you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Please head over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts. Please write a review as it helps us grow the pod. You can also <laughs> watch us on YouTube at the same time. Follow me at Tim Haraney on all forms of social media. We'll be back later this week. We're going to talk a little IndyCar. We've got a uh, special guest going to talk about some engines for all of you uh, hardcore engine fans, Formula One engines in particular. We've got a pretty special guest coming on. So keep tuned in for that, and we'll talk to you all later.